to the AUDL Roundup. I am Preston Thompson on the call with me with Nathan Jessen. I want to start off the show a little bit thinking back to last week. When I listened to last week's episode, I was throwing a little bit of shade at uh, Jeff Babbitt, who had just signed with New York, and I wasn't totally confident he was going to make an immediate impact on the game. Uh, listening to that, I was like, hey, maybe I threw a little too much, so I wanted to take a little back. Now I am completely regretting that. He was an immediate impact. So I just want to get that out of the way. I am, to the best of my ability, I want to throw away all those comments I made about Babbitt last week. That episode goes out the window. He was an immediate impact. He's not a top five MVP candidate, but when you can just throw up a hammer to somebody at the end of the uh, quarter and are 100% confident he's going to catch it, that guy's an impact. But let's, uh, Nathan, let's talk about that game a little bit. I mean, this was one of the best games of the season, do you think? Yeah, I, I think it was a really compelling game. D.C. has been in a lot of these games, uh, particularly against New York. It's their third game against New York, and it's the third game that's been decided by one point. Um, I, obviously, D.C. Was, was missing some people, and they also suffered some injuries during the game. Uh, some of their Team USA guys uh, playing on the team, I think, uh, got hurt and just decided to uh, take it easy. But... They really came through despite the fact that New York, I think, outplayed them for most of the game. Yeah, New York, uh, especially in the second half, I mean, they stormed back. It looked early like D.C. was going to have a handle on it, but to your point, some of the injuries and things like that, New York was just on fire defensively, and they were converting almost everything. And then they got into a streak of converting three straight buzzer beaters, was it? We have to talk about the double overtime point. I think it's the 11th double overtime point. Maybe it's the 11th overtime game we've had. But this game in double overtime, New York was receiving, which I've been a, a huge proponent of. you got to make sure you're receiving on that end. And they were a pit call away from ending the game. Yeah, and then there, that was not the only call or no call <laughs> in that yeah. game. Well, have you know, to- we have to go ahead and talk about the, the foul call that gave D.C. the win, or the non-foul call. So, Disco's up in the air, and the D.C. Um, receiver steps back, and there's contact, and then he catches it. The link is all over the place. Um, I believe we have we have it up on UltiWorld, maybe. Uh, I know Simon Pollock of UltiWorld tweeted it out earlier this week. You've watched it, I'm sure, a little bit, Nathan. I've watched it like 100 times, and I've come to the conclusion that it was a foul that should have been called. What do you think? On replay, it seems like a pretty clear foul, um, in my opinion. I didn't notice. I mean, I could tell there was contact when I watched it live, but it seemed like unless you had a much better angle and made a camera angle, it would have been difficult to call it a foul live. But, yeah, when you watch it in replay a few times, it seems like a pretty clear foul. But and New York's still the team that turned it over before then. I, you know, it, it's a sucks that it end, ended that way for them, and I know Mike Dross looked pretty upset, but uh, they they put themselves in that situation to begin with. Yeah, to be fair, they they had the score and it got called back for a pick call, but that did not lose their possession. They had possession right outside the end zone. All it takes is a couple dump swings and just calm throwing, but they kind of looked gassed out. They lost all of their offensive form. They had random sporadic cuts, and they ended up turning it over and giving D.C. the chance. But that is a controversial call. I mean, in the world of sports, we see it so much, but there's not anything you can do about it. I mean, 
and, and you can't really call like a video replay because you don't video replay fouls in any other sports. It's just I am actually kind of surprised it took this long for a game this important to come down to something like this. I mean, it is unfortunate, but the lucky thing for us is that New York's going to get to play D.C. more than likely, um, if not for certain, in that first playoff game in the East. One player that I think had a really good game for D.C. before he ended up sitting because of a potential injury is Tom Doy. And, you know, we've he was named to Team USA, probably one of the lesser-known Team USA players. But Tom Doy in this game, I mean, when he was playing, he had some absurd grabs, big receiving yards, and also some big throws without turning the disc over a bunch either. So I think uh, once he comes back and you see that the D.C., the total – the totality of the, the D.C. Breeze team, they're going to be really strong. It's also worth noting that, you know, Dutchie wasn't there. And it's tough to measure the strength that a coach brings to a team for one particular game. But I do think that the Breeze tend to play better when their head coach is present. I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask, do you know if he was present at their other two games against New York? I think he might have been in Columbia for one of those games, actually. Yeah, so, I mean... It's, it's easy to write off little things when D.C.'s winning by one against New York this week, but this is the third time this has happened. And they're winning these games, but, man, New York was so close to winning this one. I don't know who I like in their playoff game. And we've still got a couple weeks to finish off the season, but that's going to be one of the more the, the tighter matchups across that playoff weekend. I think that the East may have the most compelling uh, first two-round playoff matchups when you look at them as a whole. Uh, obviously, I, I would say the West might be the next most interesting. I think the South has the most interesting playoff race, but I'm not necessarily too interested in watching Dallas and the conference championship. I think they'll take care of business. So I think you're right. The, the East playoffs will be really exciting. There are three fairly evenly matched teams. I don't read too much into the fact that New York has lost three one-point games to D.C. Obviously, uh, it'd be better to have won one of those, but the fact that they were in each of those games, they came down to the wire each time. I don't think there's a special significance to the fact that they lost those games. I don't think there's like, oh, well, you can tell they can't play in crunch time because they lost three one-point. I would reject that. Um, I think New York is definitely going to be a threat. Uh, they'll have to go to D.C., which I think is a shame. It's too bad they weren't able to to get that second-place spot. For, but I think they'll be a serious threat come playoff time to the Breeze. Is there a conversation we need to have about uh, the officiating at the end of it? I mean, they got the pick call, and if you watch the replay, the pick call was right. Um, I don't think New York – I don't think any players have really – come out and said they disagree with the pick call but the the call in question is the foul on the other end i mean if it looks so clear to all of us on replay replay is one thing but on live do you expect our officials to be able to make that call the right way just from seeing it live not 100 percent of the time i mean you, you wouldn't expect that that to happen 100 percent of the time um you know i guess the the alternative land in which an observer sees it uh, the observer would either make their own call, which may or may not be correct, or just send it back because they don't feel comfortable making a call. And the AUDL, they're obviously forced to make a call uh, or a non-call. But, I, you know, referees are not perfect. It's, I think, the least enviable job in the AUDL. I would never want to be a referee. Um, and they're going to miss some calls. This was a foul. It wasn't, 
you know, an egregious one, but it was a foul and it came at a very big moment in the game. So that's why it's kind of highlighted. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And, and a, just a quick note to all of the people on Ulti World and all the people on Twitter, the Twitterverse of Ultimate, this is, what's, this is what sports are. I mean, welcome to the world of sports. Sometimes officials are going to get it wrong. I'm sure if we had a camera on every single game and they were all live streamed, this wouldn't be one of the first times that this has happened in a, in a very impactful game. But, you know, it happens. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not calling for a huge system overhaul. I was just kind of making sure you weren't either. This game, from start to finish, was it better than when DC played Toronto? I'm trying to decide what my favorite game of the year has been so far, and this is a really good contender. I think I like that third DC-Toronto game more, um, just because I really like watching Toronto play. Or not that third game, I'm sorry, that first game. Uh, The third game wasn't that close. Uh, But that first game, it was the first time you saw those teams meet, and it was kind of, there was a really good atmosphere, it felt like, even though I wasn't at the game. Um, So I think that still uh, takes the cake for me, just because it was a really fun game to watch. The first time they met in super high stakes, uh, and it kind of set the tone for the season in a lot of ways. That still is my favorite game as well. I, it, just the combination of it being one of the best ESPN Ultimate games I had watched, and the crowd there was phenomenal, the superstars going up against each other. And this game had all of that as well, just kind of a little bit less. So let's move over to the West. San Francisco drops their third straight game. I am pretty separated uh, geographically from these guys, but I don't know what is happening. Can you shed some insight on if they're completely falling apart or not? Well, completely falling apart, I don't think so. You know, I think there are a lot of careless turns, and the aviators would just take advantage of those. And you just have to think about it from the perspective of what did the flamethrowers have to play for versus what did the aviators have to play for? You know, there was a team that had a lot to play for in Los Angeles. They just lost to the Spiders. If they lost to the flamethrowers and put them at fifth place in the West— even if they took the series against Vancouver, over the two of the three games they're going to play against them, it probably wouldn't have mattered. Um, you know, and then there's San Francisco. And even though they lost this game, they're still probably going to win the West. Uh, you know, it's just the other thing to remember is I, I, San Francisco is a team that probably feels comfortable turning it on at certain points. And I'm, I'm sure at some point they tried to turn it on once they fell behind. But at the end of the day, this was this was a much more meaningful game for Los Angeles and San Francisco. Yeah, and we're going to talk to a aviator standout, Hunter Corbett, in our interview for this episode. But it does concern me that San Francisco is kind of slipping up now. I mean, I think if we were bolstering their roster in early in the year and they dropped these losses in three out of the first five games or so, I think I'd be more comfortable saying that they're a lock to a final spot or whatever. But... This this is not the time of year where you want to slip up like this. And I mean, yeah, they don't need it as much, but you need every win. I don't know how competitive they are with their traveling roster or anything like that, or the roster they're bringing out to any games at this time of the year. Uh, I know they've, and they've got tons of guys preparing for Worlds, and tons of guys won't be there this weekend either. So it's very possible they could drop more games after this. But like you said, they're still a favorite to win that first spot in the West, especially with Vancouver taking out Seattle this weekend. 
That's true. I, I think that they, they did have a strong roster there on, on Sunday. Um, what was so surprising to me is you see sometimes teams fall into these trap games where they have a lot less to play for than the team they're playing, but they usually come on the road. This is a home loss for San Francisco. Not only was it a home loss, it was a home loss against a team that was coming off having played the day before, after the Aviators had lost to San Jose. And I think this weekend provide a really strong contrast between Dallas and San Francisco because Dallas was going on the road against Jacksonville and Dallas was playing without Jimmy Mickle, without Cassie Rasmussen, without Dylan Freechild, obviously without Bo Kittredge. Um, and they went in and they took care of business in Jacksonville. They won by six and it wasn't really a game that ever felt like it was in doubt. Um, and San Francisco was playing at home against a team on the second day of a back-to-back, and they dropped one. And I think it just goes to show that Dallas is really trying to make a statement. Um, their players up and down the roster, where is maybe just kind of waiting for their moment a little bit more. The interesting thing is, is that with the loss, San Francisco has three losses now, and if things hold, they could potentially be playing Dallas in the semis um, as well as going to look like probably if both teams qualify wow yeah i hadn't thought that far ahead yet that is real interesting i was extremely impressed by dallas this weekend too uh chris Mazur is playing pretty phenomenal for them right now and uh to be honest i hadn't really noticed up until this point i know he was a mid-season pickup for them but he was on fire in jacksonville and you're right even missing all those guys it didn't they never missed a beat and san francisco they have most of their guys and, you know, slipping up a little bit. I, they're going to have to really turn it on before they get into the playoffs. But this also could be a case of L.A. is just better than we thought. So I know we're going to find out a little bit more about that in a couple minutes. But L.A. has a real shot at a playoff spot coming up. For sure. And one thing, I think Mazur did have a great game. You're right. I think it's only his second game this season with the Roughnecks. And he's on the USA mixed team. Yeah, he's got, he's a huge addition to this Roughnecks lineup. Um, but you're, you're right, and I think Dallas they have something to play for because they're trying. I mean, they're, they've clinched the one spot essentially already, but they're really trying to prove a point. San Francisco, it's the playoffs are the games that matter the most to them, and they played like it on Sunday. Well, yeah, if everything holds, they're going to get to prove that they're the best team, if they are. So I think they've done enough this year to go ahead and lock up that playoff spot, but I still think they're going to need that momentum moving forward. As for L.A., when we come back after this break, we're going to talk to Hunter Corbett about their playoff hopes and everything else, so stay tuned for that. This podcast is brought to you by Tyga Ultimate, a new standard in ultimate apparel where each jersey is made uniquely for you. Use code SUMMERTIMESCOOBA to get a 10% discount on your next team order for college, club, or Wildwood. Welcome back. We're sitting down now with Hunter Corbett, the second-year aviator. He is fresh off of a win against San Francisco. Hunter, how are you feeling today? Pretty good. uh, Feeling pretty good after the win. So, Hunter, you're coming off uh, that win against San Francisco, which I think most people would be uh, most people are pretty surprised by. Um, what do you think were some of the keys to getting that win on the road of a second day of a back-to-back? 
Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, really, to me, it came down to um, putting in a full team effort and keeping keeping the energy high all game. Um, it seemed like during the second half, we were able to keep our energy up where, where uh, San Francisco um, began to lose their legs a little bit. Yeah, I think that the, the energy point uh, is a really big one. And what's interesting about uh, Los Angeles this season, you also, uh, I'm not sure if you're playing the game on the road in Seattle where you only lost by one. I think people might have overlooked that. But the Aviators have played fairly well on the road uh, so far this season. Um, do you think there are any uh, particular things you do to prepare as a team or as an individual that uh, get you up for those games? Yeah, we, we do take our workouts very seriously. Um, since we are not the most star-studded team, uh, we try to rely on our, our depth and our, and our legs going late into these, these games, and especially, it's especially true when we're, we're on the road playing these back-to-back ones. And that game in Seattle it came, came down to the same kind of deal um, as the game in, in, San, in San Fran. Uh, really depended on our our defense late in the game and uh, playing a team that only had I think they had sixteen guys or so then uh, really it really helped um, putting in those workouts during the week and uh, leading up to this season. Hunter, you've got a series coming up against Vancouver, who you guys haven't played yet. You played three times in the upcoming weeks, and that will really determine the third playoff spot. Do you know what what do you know about Vancouver having not played them yet this year? Yeah, it seems seems like they're more or less the same team we faced last year. Um, I played a lot of these guys, um, a lot of the younger guys in in London a couple of years ago or last year at uh, at Worlds. So I've seen seen the faces played played against these guys a good amount, um, and we're, we're kind of expecting more or less the same team. Um, they've had a full year now of being in the in the AUDL and playing with each other. Um, so they're only, they only can be better from here, but I, I think that our, our strategy going, going into this one is going to be just getting out early. You mentioned traveling to London. I was able to do some reporting there. And one of the players that stuck out to me really from the whole tournament was Gagan Chatha, who's now playing for Vancouver. When you guys come up against a team that has such a a crazy athlete like that. What's the strategy? I mean, you obviously implemented some form of that going up against San Francisco, but how do you, what do you do on defense to neutralize a threat like that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. We've got uh, Steve Dugan um, running the, the D line and he's got a lot of tricks up his sleeve. So we'll see what we're able to pull out against um, uh, Chata because uh, we, we've seen him, uh, play last year. I got, I had to guard him a lot of times, um, going into last or coming out of last year's season. Uh, a lot of the times with, with a guy like that, we'll, we'll force him under, uh, put a, put a hard mark on, make him feel pressured. Um, when he's, anytime he has to move the disc, uh, usually that's what we do with those, those big, big deep cutters like that. In general, I, I don't think as many AUDL fans uh, know as much about LA. You guys did have one ESPN3 game earlier this year, but not one of the more talked-about franchises. Um, one of the players I think that if they do know LA, it's probably Markel Bogan. Um, he's kind of a, a star player for you guys. Who do you see as some of the other uh, big contributors, even if they don't show up as much on the stat sheet for your team? 
Yeah, uh, that's that's a great question, um, and I kind of like that we're not really a uh, known or um, a big a big named AUDL team because it it keeps uh, keeps us all humble in a way and really makes us all be able to step up into those those uh, contributing roles. Um, a couple of guys that come to mind that you may just kind of slide under the radar are Brent George. He is a relentless cutter, and he can get open at at, at will. Uh, he played he played in Pittsburgh. I don't think he played at Pitt, but he played for a smaller art school out there. And then, um, additionally, uh, we've got guys like uh, Eli Friedman, who's maybe a little bit more known of a uh, bigger name there, uh, but he's able to contribute as well. And then on the defensive side of things, um, we've got guys like like Tyler Bacon and. Dan Belger that have previous pro uh, experience. Going into LA, like as compared to the other Bay Area teams, do you think there's something different about being a sports franchise in LA? I know you're not. You know, we've had a lot of owners on the program, but as a player, what do you what do you think is tough about promoting an ultimate frisbee team inside a city like LA where there's so much going on? Yeah, that's that's a great question, and I definitely I definitely do feel a little bit of the difference. We still are able to get some pretty good fan turnout, um, which was surprising at first, but it's it's really great to to look up in the stands and um, see see a big a big turnout at these home games. Um, when we moved when we go to Seattle and those northern uh, more the northern cities, uh, we're able to see you're able to see a full ultimate community there. We don't really have that luxury. Um, but it's still it's still great to get out uh, to get the the fans out there and supporting supporting Ultimate and supporting um, the the Aviators. Well, Hunter, you've got a contested battle going into this last playoff spot. Me and Nathan will surely be watching. I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us, and best of luck for the rest of the year. Yeah, of course, guys. Thanks for having me. Just take those old- Later into the AVL season, uh, some teams have started to drop off and become officially or essentially eliminated from the playoff. So we're going to be doing a little postmortem on a few teams that are now out of the playoff race. And we're going to start with Chicago. The Chicago Wildfire, uh, after losing this weekend, fell to 3-7. and seven. And if you told me at the beginning of the year that Chicago would be eliminated from the playoff conversation before Detroit, I would have laughed at you. Uh, I picked the wildfire to finish third. In hindsight, it was a terrible pick. Preston, what do you think? What started to go wrong for Chicago this year? Well, I mean, they didn't start. They started out one and two, which is not a great start with just a, an easy win over Cincinnati. But it's hard. AJ Nelson kind of got left hanging out up in Chicago, and he's—I mean—he's clearly one of their better players. But they just don't have a supporting cast around him. It's tough now that Pittsburgh is becoming a, a powerhouse. I mean, if you really want to try and get a leg up on all the competition, you're going to have to beat Pittsburgh or Madison once in the season or at least come close and, and give yourself some momentum, and that didn't really happen for them. They had a one-point one loss to Pittsburgh recently, and that was tough, but they just couldn't build together the supporting cast to uh, string together some wins. I mean, just just beating Detroit and Cincinnati in this division is not going to be good enough to get you up to that three spot. 
And they, they lost to Detroit um, earlier this year by two in a home game. Uh, there are a bunch of players missing that game, but that just speaks to the kind of season they've had at times. You know, any conversation about the Chicago Wildfire 2016 season kind of has to start with who wasn't playing for them, and that includes Brett Mizuka, Goose Helton, and Bob Blue. Um, and so for a brief period there, Brody Smith was on the Wildfire too, and they've obviously lost him as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, Brody's played like one and a tenth of a game over the last two years <laughs> for Chicago. Um, True, good point. But uh, and uh, they brought in some guys. They brought in some guys from Prairie Fire that I thought would be big. Uh, Jovian, Brett Hidaka, um, and Christian Simpson, I think David Woods maybe. Um, and along with Eric Johnson, who, not the EJ Luther grad Eric Johnson, but Eric Johnson from Indianapolis, who had a good year for them last year. And I thought... The moving parts and the, the depth of the Chicago Ultimate scene, a lot of machine players, uh, some players from the UPA mixed club team uh, offering some experience, plus A.J. Nelson would be there for a full year. I thought they would be able to take care of business. Um, I do think that they've underperformed relative to their talent this year, um, but I think a lot of it was they just lost two to start the season against Minnesota, those first two games. And it just kind of sucked the wind out of them, it seemed like. After that, you know, like you said, they played Pittsburgh close, but they just didn't – it kind of ended their season early in some ways. And could they have come back from it? Yeah, but it made it a lot more difficult. And they just just did not end up having it. Um, A.J. Nelson still had a good year. Um, You know, Tim Fergus has looked good, but they they didn't have somebody to kind of fill – their best player last year, I think, was Brett Mizuka, but there was nobody to fill that type of Goose Helton cutter with big throws role. Um, you know, AJ Nelson's just a different type of player, uh, and I think they missed that. Maybe Brett Hidaka could have been that if he'd been made made more games and been a little bit healthier. But it, it was just it didn't happen for them this year. Yeah, I think to your point, if you're missing a connection between Chicago Machine, the club team, and the Wildfire, you just have to look at the D.C. Breeze and know that that's where those guys went. I mean, Machine is an extremely competitive club team because all those guys in the area play for that team, but I think some of the top guys on Wildfire wanted to have a shot at a championship weekend. So they moved over to D.C., and I mean, D.C. is is reaping those benefits from that. Very true. Um, Next up, another team that was officially eliminated this weekend is uh, the Charlotte Express. And, you know, Charlotte is not a team that came in necessarily with playoff expectations. They're 3-8 and right now. Um, But we did think they'd be taking a step up this year. And I I would argue they already have. They've got home wins over Jacksonville and Austin. Um, But uh, they were not able to kind of put together a – seven win campaign even um that some thought they might uh charlotte does have a lot of overlap with turbine the club team um who will be playing at the u.s open later uh in just a few weeks um the express will probably lose the game they're playing that week without all those turbine guys (laughs) um but a couple players i thought stood out for them obviously jakeem polk just for being a the uh the human highlight reel of the audl um, and Jesse Lieberman has had a great year for them. What have you seen from Charlotte this year? Well, the the eulogy, if you want to call it that, for this year's Charlotte is pretty simple in my mind. It's that they got better, but everybody else in the division got better too. I mean, 
after all of their improvement and all of their kind of adding a couple key players, everybody else did the same thing. So they didn't really find that one spark, that one piece that was going to put them over Austin and Atlanta. And every team in that South Division, as we said time and time again, is hard to beat. I mean, you don't get a great break. Uh, and Charlotte managed to give a lot of the better teams in the division some good fight this year, but they got better. Everybody else did too, and it ends up looking, you know, relatively similar to how it looked last year. True. Um, Charlotte will probably end up with four, maybe five wins. Probably four, if I had to guess. Um, they still, in the two years, have never won a road game against anybody other than Nashville. You know, and you have to go and win games on the road. Uh, I know it's this cliche, but it's it is that simple. Um, there are a lot of pieces here. Um, I, I do think they've got a, a fairly young team. Um, you know, Shane Cisco is a player that stood out for them as well. He caught a lot of goals, a lot of them thrown by Micah Hood. Um, but I thought at some point they would steal a game from Raleigh this year. I thought they play him three times. Raleigh's going to get sick of playing these guys, and it didn't happen, which is a shame. Um, but it just expressed, not to say that they underperformed expectations, but they certainly didn't outperform them either. Yeah, that area of the Southeast is a tough scene to try and get two good teams out of. And granted, most of the you know the great players on Raleigh are traveling from different places now, but the triangle you've seen there near Raleigh and Durham is great, but it's hard to get two full rosters worth of talent that you can send out every week to an away game. So, uh, I mean, maybe next year it will be better, but they can't just do the standard improvement that every team is doing now. They're going to really have to move some pieces if they want to gun for the playoffs. That's a good point. But I, Turbine, which is basically the club equivalent of the Express, um, with, I mean, obviously some differences, but they did beat Chain at regionals last year. And I believe it was Turbine that lost in the game to go at Southeast Regionals. Now, maybe that was just a lot of, of the right things, lucky things happening at the same time, clicking for that team while Chain was obviously having other problems. But there is... There is some potential here. We'll see what happens for them next year. That is true. I mean, they caught Shane on kind of a weird year. But if you look at the top four in the Southeast Division right now, I mean, Austin and Dallas have their own ultimate scenes. And, I mean, double wide is enough to, I think, make both of those rosters really solid. I mean, Dallas obviously brings in all of the out-of-town talent, really. Raleigh has Ring of Fire, and Atlanta has Chain. Charlotte does have Turbine, but Turbine hasn't. I mean, have they made nationals relatively recently? No. Okay, I I mean, you have to have an established city program. I mean, Hustle pulls almost all of their players from Chain. And if they're not pulling a player from Chain, that player who's now on Hustle is more likely to make Chain the next year. So you just have to have an established presence like that, and there's not enough, you know, not enough to go around in that area. But, you know, maybe next year, but they're going to have to bring in some out-of-towners like all of the big programs are doing now. Speaking of bringing out-of-town talent, one team that did uh, this past offseason was Montreal. They brought in Dave Ferraro and uh, Kevin Quinlan, but it was not enough. Uh, they're currently 5-7, and seven, not totally eliminated from the playoffs yet, but if they were to make the playoffs, the Philadelphia Phoenix would need to start winning games against uh, the New York Empire and Ottawa Outlaws, and that seems very unlikely. Um, so the Montreal Royale... Uh, Kevin Quinlan has been a beast for them. He leads them in both assists and goals. We had him on the podcast earlier this year. But at the same time, 
Uh, Montreal, who made the playoffs last year, went 9-5, and five, did not get it done this year. Uh, Preston, do you have any thoughts on the Royale? I mean, they're winning in every other category, which I think a lot of you know business-oriented people would almost rather have. I mean, they have a great fan experience, and they have a lot of people showing up to games. I mean, some people that are going to make the playoffs would kill to have their crowd, but, you know, they can't win games. I, I don't know a lot about the ultimate scene up there, but when you're competing with Toronto, you already have another Canadian team in the area. So I'm, I'm just assuming that a lot of that high-level national talent, especially with all those world, world's players on Toronto, it's going to be hard to get You're going to have to convince people to come play for you, the really good players, even though Toronto is so well-established and kind of the home for all of those world's players. Yeah, I think the biggest difference for Montreal this year, similar to what you said for Charlotte, is I, th- I think the Royale are a better team this year. Um, I-, I really do believe that, despite the fact that their record is worse. But look at what happened to the other teams. Um, D.C. is far, far better. I think New York also improved. I think Toronto improved a little bit. Ottawa is no longer an expansion franchise. Uh, last year, of those nine wins that they had, uh, five of them, came against Rochester and Philly. Uh, Rochester is obviously not around anymore. Um, And another two of them last year came against the D.C. Breeze, and it's just a completely different D.C. Breeze team. So I I think this is really a case of the the Royale just not, not keeping pace with the rest of the division. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, we've already talked about the addition of, of Quinlan has been great. They've got a couple young players. Uh, is it Nathan Shampo who's been really excellent? But it's uh, just- he's he's with Detroit. But Kevin Grew is uh, one of those former U twenty three players that is always playing big for the Royale. That's what I was thinking of. But yeah, I mean they've got the young talent there. They're just you know in the AUDL now. If you want to make the playoffs, you have to make off season moves that make you know, for lack of a better phrase, that make noise. You know, amongst people like me and you. Uh, bring in the big names and things like that. And while they are building kind of from scratch and from their own ultimate scene, it's not going to be enough to get wins over New York, D.C., and Toronto. I mean, maybe in another division where that third team is a little more up for grabs, possibly the Midwest, I suppose, uh, they'd have a better shot. But you can't, you're not going to be able to get wins over those three teams. Well, I think the big thing is just uh, winning games on the road. We saw the Royale take down, you know, Toronto when they had a depleted roster. Um, and similar uh, to D.C., when D.C. was missing a bunch of people and they came to Montreal, the Royal got that W. But what separates you, uh, what separates a playoff team from a team that, you know, can finish 5-9, and 6-8 and eight, is those road wins. Um, and we, we didn't see those from Montreal this year. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And, you know... A little off topic, but Vancouver has yet to win a game on the road. And if they want to make the playoffs, they're going to have to do it. I mean, you can't just be a hometown team. And not saying that Montreal is that, but if, if they, like I said about Charlotte, if they want to compete with the top three in their division, they're going to have to make some moves. I mean, it's not totally out of the question to say that some of the Canadian world's players might make a trip over to Montreal to try and get some more exposure, some more playing time, things like that. And they have a really great environment to play in. If you haven't seen pictures of where they play most of their home games, go look at it. It's fantastic. So like I said, they're winning in almost every other category. Yeah, it's one of the best environments in the AUDL, no question. 
Absolutely. But let's, uh, you know, maybe we'll see those teams in the mix next season, but I just hope that some teams can make some off-season moves. I would love, love for Charlotte to really get some moves and get some stars down there. That goes for Montreal as well. Let's look ahead to this weekend. We've got a couple games. No ESPN3 game of the week this week, but what games are piquing your interest this weekend? Well, the big one, we touched on it a little bit earlier, is this Vancouver-LA. It's the first game of a three-game series. Um, Vancouver is going to be playing in LA. And what's a little scary for this game for Vancouver is obviously uh, Worlds is starting in London, and they're going to be missing all those uh, Team Canada players. They'll, they'll still have some talent, undoubtedly, but this is not going to be the 100% full-strength uh, Vancouver Riptide team. Um, so what, what do you think their chances are playing the Aviators in Los Angeles this weekend, Preston? I actually like L.A. to win this game for those reasons. I mean, Vancouver does not travel well, and that is a long distance to go for the players that actually will travel with them. And both teams are playing for a playoff spot. L.A. knows that they can get it if they win this series with Vancouver. They know that now is the time to capitalize with some of their better players missing. At home, I think L.A. is going to win this by, you know, three or four. Uh, Would I be surprised to see it go the other way? No. But like you said, they're missing those top couple guys. Vancouver has yet to win a road game. And, you know, they're only three in. But that's still a big deal to me. I mean, some teams just plain don't travel well for you know, several reasons. And I think Vancouver might be one of those. That's true. Uh, I think the road losses to Seattle and San Francisco are pretty forgivable, but uh, they lost by 10 to the Spiders in San Jose. Now, I mean, losing the Spiders in San Jose, there's no shame in that, but by 10, that that is kind of a red flag to me. Um, I think that I, if I had to make a pick, it's so tough because we don't really know what Vancouver's going to look like. That I believe they'll still have Gagan Chatha, uh, who isn't playing on Team Canada. And he is obviously one of their most dangerous players. So this isn't going to be a walkover or anything. Um, but if I had to make a pick, I would go with L.A. just because I, I think they do have some momentum right now and they're feeling it a little bit. Yeah, like Hunter was saying earlier in the show, if they want to win this game, it's going to have to be with the bench. I mean, you can't just win it by throwing up to your best player. I mean, if Gaganchath is still there, and if a couple other of those Vancouver guys are still there, they're going to have a hard time. So I think they're going to use the depth, and they're going to have to use all four quarters. But I still do like L.A. in this by two, by three. Um, And that will really help them trying to get into the playoffs. Yeah, it sounds about right to me. Uh, The the next two meetings after this one are going to be huge, too. Yep, absolutely. So one of the other games this weekend that that I'm flagging right now is Atlanta traveling to Texas to play Austin. Both teams trying to get squeeze into that third playoff spot in the Southeast. And I have no idea which way this game's going to go. I mean, it finished in double overtime just recently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Austin won in Atlanta in double OT. <laughs> Texas from Atlanta is a long way to go. I made that drive when I was driving to Frisco for Nationals. It's 10 or 11 hours. And I'm sure a lot of them are flying, but that is a long way to go. Uh, luckily, they get to play both of them in Texas for their one road, their one Texas road trip of the year. But I like Austin at home on this one. What do you think? Uh, I like Austin at home, no question. Um, the Soul have been destroying teams that have come to Austin lately. Uh, you know, these they have not these have not been close games. The closest anybody other than Dallas has come to beating them is Jacksonville lost by five in Austin, but that was earlier in the season. Uh, that was Austin's first win. I think they've started to look better. 
Obviously, Charlotte and Nashville are not the same caliber of talent as Atlanta. But, I mean, they beat Charlotte by 17. I mean, like, that, that is not close. They put up 37 on Nashville. Uh, I think the Soul, uh, I see them winning this game by more than five goals. Wow, okay. Uh, I know this was true a week ago. I don't know if it's still true, but I saw something that no team traveling to Texas has won a game yet. That is true, yeah. Wow. I mean, that's something to say about the two expansion teams. And obviously Dallas is the one making all the headlines, but Austin has held their own at home too. So that will definitely be interesting. Atlanta's kind of facing a must-win situation because they're more than likely going to drop that game on Dallas the very next day. Even though Dallas is playing with other Team USA players, it's just a testament to Dallas's depth that you know we're not even really thinking about that Dallas game just because we're kind of assuming Dallas is going to take care of business. It's just... It's not something I predicted at the beginning of the year, but just hats off to the Roughnecks for really uh, laying it down the whole uh, year. They've, they've played great. Agreed. They will still be one of the best programs in the AUDL without all those players, which is just remarkable to me. But I'm looking forward to the action this weekend. That's going to do it for us this week. Thanks for joining us. For Nathan Jessen, I'm Preston Thompson signing off for this week. 